0: Welcome to another episode of Streamed and Screened, the podcast about movies and TV shows and in this case, award shows hosted by myself, Chris Lay, the podcast operations manager for Lee and Bruce Miller, longtime entertainment reporter and editor at the Sioux City Journal. Bruce, I have to be so excited
1: because our dear friend Diane Warren, remember how This podcast has been really her biggest advocate. We have been wanting to see Diane finally win an Oscar. After 12 nominations, she got an honorary Academy Award at the governor's dinner the other night. And when she announced that she had won, she also paid a note to us by using the story that we had about her 12 times a bridesmaid, never a bride. So God bless her. She still remembers us. She still remembers that we were pushing for her and we are so thrilled. And if you happen to see online, she went to bed with the Oscar. She promised that she would go to bed with the Oscar. She did. So congratulations to Diane Warren, who won finally after all these years. And she should be nominated again this year because she's got another song that's in the running and I've already seen ads for it. And I think, you know what? She could pull it off.
0: We've got a long season ahead of us We'll see where where it lands and we'll make sure we mention her because we want her to have two, not just one. She's got to catch up. Got to have the uh, the win-loss ratio is now, it's on the upswing and we got to keep that momentum. One out of 13. (laughs) Speaking of Oscars, who do we have on the show this week? You know, we used to be in
1: a whole kind of Oscar look podcast and then we expanded a bit, but this is a really, really cool interview. And I'm not saying that because we were involved, But Bruce Davis was an executive director of the Academy for many, many years, 25 some odd years, give or take a long time. So he knows the ins and outs of the the Academy better than anybody. And he has written a book called The Academy and the Award. And if you're a hardcore Oscar person like I am, you want to dig in and get that book. Because it tells secrets like you've never heard before. He had access to files that most people don't ever, ever see. Even if you're working there, I'm sure they have these these rooms that are off limits to mere mortals. But um, he had access to all of this, and he decided to write the story, the true story, because there are a lot of theories that are out there about how the Oscar got named. You know how they pick people, how they have five nominees in a category or 10 what all of that is about and he reveals some information that you have never heard anywhere else i promise you that right now that you are going to get some scoops that you never heard this is the kind of stuff you want to hear but bruce davis lots
0: of fun and i think you're going to like him and we'll have links to the book in the show notes we'll have links to where you can find all things bruce davis yeah Take it away, Bruce and Bruce.
1: We have a plethora of Bruce's today, but I'm the lesser Bruce today because I have Bruce Davis here with us who is the new author of the Academy and the Award, a book about the Academy Awards. And I you know, I am such a hardcore fan of the Oscars that I was devouring this. I'm not done, so don't tell me how it ends because I don't I, have any spoilers in this. I, won't. I was fascinated by this. Now, you, because you were an executive with the Academy, you had access to the files. Is that right? Yes.
2: In particular, I think the thing that I had that no one else has had is the, the minutes of the governors through the years, which actually start before the Academy quite existed. They, the first meetings are about should we have an Academy and what would it do if we did and, and that sort of thing. And then it kind of comes together and uh, they kept very careful records through the years, although they were (laughs) jumping ahead. There were times when the Academy almost died because they had such problems in the uh, Depression era.
1: They had financial problems, which you never kind of think with the Oscars. You think, well, they've got to be flush all the time, but there was really a, a financial burden on them. Constantly, I had
2: not understood that. The whole time I was working there, I thought, okay, I know pretty much about this organization, but I hadn't really systematically gone back and looked up records and everything. But um, you've put your finger on the most astonishing thing that I found out, which was that they were always living hand to mouth. No sooner had the Academy been born than the Depression hit. There was no means of income. This was way before any kind of television contract or even there were years in there where they broadcasted on radio for free. They, they never made any money, even at that point. It was very bizarre. And uh, so, yeah, they between that and um, hostilities with the forming guilds in the industry, there, there was a point where they had almost no means of support.
1: Well, and wasn't there a time when actually they were kind of seen as an alternative to the guilds to kind of tamp them down a bit. And so there'd be a little more control on the part of the studios. That was the original
2: idea with Louis B. Mayer, who I think has to be given credit for beginning the organization for suggesting it. And he was very much concentrating on let's not have guilds. Let's not have unionization of this wonderful industry of ours. But when he got to the point where he invited artists, and in. when you start talking about screenwriters and cinematographers and all those talented people, they weren't as worried about the labor situation as they were about convincing the world that they were making art, which was not generally recognized it, and uh, that was what they got excited about.
1: The Academy of Arts and Sciences, where it has kind of a heady feeling to it, it's not just were people who hand out awards. You know, it, it had a high, right. high calling, I think. Very much, yeah. And in fact, they almost didn't
2: get the awards business going. There was there was enormous resistance to the idea of awards. People made fun of it. They said, well, there are these major studios, and they're all going to vote for whatever movies they made, whatever people made uh, films uh, in their studio. And so it took a while to convince the, the the people who were supposed to be giving out these awards that it wasn't a waste of time.
1: Well, and in those early years, too, there were people that, you know, you questioned, should they have won or why did they win? Or I think you had one year in there where the person who had the most had the biggest uh, amount of support wasn't even on the final five. And they had to add her in. And they hadn't quite figured out how to do it that year. That was very early on. And they
2: did it sort of backwards in terms of the way they've done it ever since. They started with a mass of members and asked them, anybody from any branch could suggest, they weren't exactly voting, but they could suggest that so-and-so did a really good job with cinematography and so-and-so thought gave great performance. And then they took all those suggestions. And then they got down to the experts in the um, in, in the various fields and had the tiny little groups make the decisions about who really would get should get the award. Finally, they thought, okay, we should do it the other way around. We should start with the branches uh, who are the experts in these various fields and let them decide on the field, and then the whole academy can vote uh, on every category. For the award and that that has worked out much better but yeah it, w- it was very odd uh, you're talking about a year when um <laughs> there were pretty clear indi- indications that mary pickford was the one who was tied for the most suggestions and then when the little group got together she wasn't on the ballot of nominations which was a shock <laughs> she was married to the to the uh, president uh Douglas Fairbanks and she was probably the most famous movie star in the world and she had gotten the most votes but they didn't give it to her they didn't put her on the ballot and they were still kind of trying to work out this and the executives got together and said something's going wrong here we need to add her to the ballot anyway and final vote turned out she won so
1: she won Maybe this is one that Tom Cruise should be saying all these years. You know, I was really the one who should have won, but they just did the balloting wrong. That's the problem. yeah, yeah. Doesn't it? (laughs) You were looking through those files. Did they have vote totals? Could you tell who had how many votes for each year? Or was that still a secret?
2: They had, uh, in fact, I I say in the book, when I started opening these these um, boxes full of early, early records. One of the first ones was full of the ballots for the first year, oh, wow. which were signed. I mean, they were sitting in there and uh, it was before Price Waterhouse. And once they counted them, somebody put them in a banker's box or some kind of a box and tucked them away. And uh, there they were. You could see who voted for what because they weren't secret in the first year. So that was uh, that was an early, uh, exciting kind of thing yeah they obviously the governors could have known what the totals were, but they decided early on not to announce that. They didn't need to designate somebody as coming in last.
1: you know Would that ever happen? Do you think Would we ever find out the vote totals? I wouldn't think so.
2: I would be fascinated to see them, but another part of me knows that that's kind of a that's kind of a sleazy uh wish uh, it's better It's better not to know.
1: Do you believe that there really were ties? Do you think there really could be ties? Or was it so close that you just say, oh, they're both going to get it?
2: Well, that's an interesting thing that, that you raise. Yeah, I think there's every reason to think that there were occasional ties. We, we know some of the later in later history. Uh, two people come up and they each get awards. Uh, but there was one year when uh, they were doing an odd thing. They were worried about the members not voting, and as heavy in you know, a number as they would prefer. So they left it open until you could bring your ballot to the awards ceremony. And guys over in the side of the hall were counting them all while people were eating dinner. And so there was some sloppiness there uh, and they had, they couldn't remember exactly what they had decided would happen in the case of ties. And there was one year there where if anybody was within two votes of somebody else that would be called a double win, but it, what they really said was there'll be a gold one and then there'll be a bronze one. so it was pretty clear that they um they were looking for dead ties for this, and I don't think anyone had ever thought to bring a bronze one along to the ceremony just in case somebody came within a, a vote or two um so it was they, it needed to be uh firmed up and eventually of course Price waterhouse took over and uh, didn't start screwing up until much later in history.
1: <laughs> and then we have the wrong one mentioned, but that's, you know, hey, that's current history. Yeah. When you look at the actual awards that they gave out, why didn't they give everybody a statuette to begin with? Why did they have those like little supporting plaque-like things? Why was it that only certain categories got the big ones?
2: You can see them kind of feeling their way through the, uh, how, how the awards should work. And there was just a kind of a, a sense that, that the really important ones are best picture and best director and this, that, and the other. And But yeah, there were kind of what we would think of as sort of major categories where um, like if you won the best song, you, you got a what they called a plaque. Uh, and uh, they did go back and let people um, have a-
1: Read them in.
2: Uh, yeah, so uh, they worked that out. But yeah, for a long time, there were kind of A categories and B categories.
1: Well, in the war years, they had plastered, plaster Oscars. Did you ever get to see the one that they still have? And what did it look like? Did it look as good as a real Oscar?
2: No. I not only got to see it, it was in my closet for about 20 years. And that, that was along with the damaged Oscars. Oscars would fall off of mantles in an earthquake and somebody would come in and look, it broke two. And we would replace those if it was still in control of the original recipient, or we had a kind of chain of command. And the plaster one looked okay or it didn't? No, they looked terrible. One of the things I found out in the process of doing this research was that one that that we had always thought was the only surviving plaster Oscar wasn't really. It, It had to have been a stage prop. There were several of those around Um, at rehearsals for the Oscars different people would come out and hand somebody a plaster one but no one seems to have fought at the end of the war to keep a plaster one for the historical record that should be in the museum but the one that we have uh, I could prove wasn't a World War II plaster uh, statuette so unfortunately we don't have that Uh, you said does it look the same no I don't think they look the same we have it looked okay at a distance, but uh, gold paint doesn't look like gold gilt, you know, real gold. So anybody who had a chance, almost anybody who had a chance to turn in the plaster ones at the end of the war, took advantage
1: of that. Okay, go in that closet for me then. How many of those uh, returned or damaged Oscars did you have? Were there quite a few? There were.
2: Um, I don't know that I ever counted them, but what was interesting was I thought... I, there's no reason for us to have these bent and broken up ones. And yet I don't want to just throw them in the big dumpster outside because somebody sure enough will go dumpster diving. And pretty soon, you know, on eBay, you'll find people selling half of an Oscar or, or whatever. So there was a problem. Okay. Well then how do we destroy them safely? So we don't see pieces of them coming up on the black market. And I will confess, I actually took one home and got a hacksaw. And, <laughs> and thought, all right, let's see how hard it is. And it was a lot of work. They were made of uh, of a pretty soft metal at this point, but still, it was a, it was a lot of work. And finally, somebody said, "Well, you should go to those guys who, um, who destroy documents, who just you know." So I looked around, and sure enough, there was such a, a company, and they agreed to come back up their big machine uh in the back of the academy and i said well let's let's test one so they turned it on great powerful blades were whirring and we dropped the statuette in and it was like that was it it was gone it was it was shrapnel (laughs) and uh so i said all right that'll work put all the rest of them through oh no and do what you do with the metal But yeah, we destroyed maybe 17, 18 at
1: that point. Oh, it would have killed me. I couldn't have done it. They would be like children. You know, I wouldn't do it. I won't say it didn't sadden me a little, but I was glad to have them out of the way. Like, would they be missing a head or would they be?
2: Yes, if if it falls off and falls right on its head, at the best it would bend. But yeah, I, I did have at least one decapitated one. The ankles are a weak spot also. And sometimes they would bend there. You can't just bend them back; they're done when they <laughs> when they get.
1: Back. It must be nice to have Oscars in your office. I would love that. I think that'd be a cool thing.
2: Uh, well, I didn't have many, and as I say, I kept those in a locked cabinet uh, with a number of other strange things.
1: So, <laughs> over the years, though, I've noticed that it does look different. The base seems to be the big the big changer. Sometimes it looks like it's a metal base. Sometimes it looks like just a black kind of base base rather. Has that changed a lot? I know that in the first years they were shorter. That's right. But I look at one from like the 70s or the 80s and they almost look like they had a silver base. Is that true or not?
2: Well, you're watching very carefully. Yeah. The uh, original ones have a, um, a stone base called um, Belgian or sometimes Belgium marble. It's not a true marble but it's a nice black stone that they could cut in. And it has a couple of steps up to the uh, statuette proper and it's bolted to the statuette. After the war, that began to get expensive. Uh, It was hard to find. So that's when they changed to a metallic base. And it was was during the war that the taller version, the statuette proper never changes. But the base, uh, as you've correctly spotted, uh, is taller and that kind of makes it thinner also the base is taller and thinner after the war so yeah there there is a there is a distinction in those years.
1: Well and then when somebody turns one down do you still keep them? Are they still there somewhere?
2: No. The ones that are handed out on an Oscar night except for the honoraries. The honoraries the honoraries have the nameplate on them and obviously no one has ever rejected a uh, an honorary oscar but everything else is blank they all look the same and if somebody rejects one which has only happened a couple times in history as i bet you know they just go back into the um cupboard well in the very closely guarded cupboard and the next guy in line will get that
1: one. okay so they're not sitting there like this will suddenly go back to george c scott if he wants one but it doesn't happen like that
2: Yeah. If he had let us know at any point during his life, we would have given him one, but it wouldn't have been the same one he would have gotten had he accepted it in the year he was nominated.
1: Did Marlon Brando ever take his or was that still a uh, no, I don't want it? Well, that's,
2: that's a very complicated and interesting story. And when we say his, we're talking about his second one, the Godfather one. He kept the
1: first one.
2: That had a complicated life, too, because early in his career, he gave that one away to somebody and couldn't even remember who had it. And then his uh, daughter tracked it down and that got into a weird legal thing. But the the one that uh, that he rejected, that he had Sashine Littlefeather turned down. I don't know whether I should tell you this whole story or not. Roger Moore was the presenter who would have presented it to Mr. Brando had he shown up. Uh, Liv Ullman was the co-presenter. And so Sasheen Littlefeather says, no, thank you. And she goes back to her seat and Roger Moore is standing there holding an Oscar. And we had nobody assigned to pick up Oscars that had been rejected. It just wasn't something that happened. So Roger Moore went back to his seat and <laughs> kept it for a while, took it to parties, uh, several parties during the evening. It, it, it had a very good time. A lot of ladies like to see James Bond with an Oscar. And uh, so he took it back home. And a couple of weeks later said, oh, we should turn that back into the Academy. And his agent, I mean, his uh, publicist brought it back. And it arrived the same day that we got a package from a member of Charlie Chaplin's family. And that person said, Mr. Chaplin's Oscar was broken in shipping. And I'm sending it back here. Is there any chance of getting it replaced? And so the then executive director, not me, but my my predecessor, had just gotten the Roger Moore one back. He said, Yes, oh, he man, sent we that one? The Charlie Chaplin has Marlon Brando's office. That's that's a oh, pretty good
1: right. How about that? Yeah. That's well, you <laughs> know. <laughs> I know that you now put numbers on everything. So you could track them if somebody came and said, wait a minute, that I, I lost my Oscar, where is it? And then it shows up somewhere. Yes. We, but in those early years, they weren't numbered, were they? They were just kind of out there.
2: They were not. And yeah, it, it was it was interesting. So in 1950, uh, we decided we need to we need to know who's who's got which one. So ever since then, they have been numbered. One of the things it showed us was that people used to have to bring them back to get the name on them. We would put the right name on after they had had a night of celebration or whatever. And, of course, in the course of the evening, a lot of them would get kind of just stood on the same table somewhere. And we realized that a lot of people went home with not the one they had been given. Didn't matter. They were all the same. But um, we could tell uh, that that had happened because we had the serial numbers. We we knew who had received which. Never had somebody ask us to go back and find the one they should have had. So that, that wasn't the problem.
1: Did you get protective of the Oscars over the years? Did you say, no, 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 we can't do this or we can't do that?
2: Very much so. Because it started to be abused. Um, it was so famous and so associated with elegance and class and whatnot that people started you know, working Oscars into advertising that had nothing to do with the movie that had won. They just thought this is, people like this, so we'll put it in our head. So we had a copyright issue and copyright, the way the copyright laws are, are, uh, are worded, you have to defend your copyright. If, if you know that somebody is using your mark and you don't object, you let them do that publicly, you know they're doing it and you don't object, it can become generic very quickly. And you lose the right to claim it as your as your mark. So, yeah, you are kind of uh, you are kind of forced. And a lot of people do it innocently. So we always had the law firm write them a nice letter saying, I'm sorry, but we can't really allow you to make chocolate Oscars. Um, That's our mark. You can make chocolate, anything else. But we'd like you to to stop making chocolate Oscars.
1: And some of them would say
2: to hell with you. I'm making them. And then you sue them. (laughs)
1: <laughs> when you go to any of those souvenir stores in Hollywood, there's an Oscar-like replica that you can buy. And I'm right. sure that just drives you crazy when you see those things. You say, get that crap off there. You're not going to take our our glory, right. right? Yes, but they can't
2: look exactly like us. We have gotten the court mandate that it, it it must differ in several ways. And if you'll notice, the award titles are not ours. You can't say best actor. You can't say, you know, best picture. You can say best dad. You can say best whatever. Uh, But again, these are modified from from what a real Oscar looks like.
1: Well, what I found odd about those is they kind of look like what you say the first description of an Oscar was, where the arms were kind of out. Those bogus ones (laughs) look like what they were actually trying to do back in the day.
2: It's not a coincidence that they started looking at those earlier ones and thought, well, let's make it more like this. And technically our copyright wasn't for that one with the. Yeah. Uh, with the, the book.
1: <laughs> right. They always, and I hate this. I hate this every year when people say, Oh, the, the viewership was really down this year. I don't care. I don't care <laughs> that viewership is down and they look to try and kind of find other ways to juice it up, which I don't think they need to do. I really think that's a stupid direction to go in and, they came up one year with the idea of having like the most popular film. Yeah, and I think that's just an idiotic idea. But maybe that's just me. No, it's not just you. You're you're right. It's sort of spectacularly pointless.
2: It means you don't understand what the real ones are about. If all you want to know is which one made the most money, we know that as the years going along, we know which one right. was the most popular. This is about something else. And fortunately, uh, having proposed that business of, of the most popular uh, uh, Oscar, they, they backed away very quickly. So,
1: Well, I hope they get rid of that idea because I think it's a stupid one. And if they really want to do something, they keep show the other awards that we don't get to see. I always miss, here I am now, it sound like I'm lecturing, I'm terrible at this. <laughs> I miss seeing the honorary ones where they have that big night. I would love to see those people at the real ceremony. I think that's a cool thing. And it best, is a cool thing. They it's let
2: him happen. Stand
1: up, it happen. I want more than that. I, as, a, yeah. as a hardcore moviegoer, I want every little bit of it I can get.
2: Well, I, I salute that. And uh, I kind of feel the same way. But it became obvious that people were complaining, particularly on the East Coast, about how late it was getting because our, our shows kept getting longer and longer and longer historically. And so uh, that was uh, taking those off the show. Even though those those were some of the greatest honors that we had to deliver, was one solution that um, I, I think it has actually worked out pretty well. But it is a much more intimate kind of thing. It was deliberately made not to be broadcast, not to be not not to have a a clock or a orchestra leader saying, "You know what time it is." Um, you could talk as long as you wanted, and the people in the room for that event tend to be Hollywood. Uh, career people, and uh, they know why this person is being honored, whereas sometimes the wide audience uh, is not impressed with, no matter how great an art director this person was, they don't really know what that is all about.
1: Would they ever show that show, though? I would love to see it, but maybe it's, you know, it's a streaming service or whatever.
2: It does not get broadcast in any form, Um, and those awards used to be worked into the Into the body of the show, so they would come one and one and one. Uh, There were a couple of couple of times again in the early years where this was when it was on radio. They they um, they stopped the radio broadcast and did all of those at the end. And people, you know, Betty Davis is there thinking she's talking to a national audience, and she's really just talking to the people in the theater because the the broadcast shut down once the Best Picture award was going (laughs) to.
1: You mentioned Betty Davis, and Betty Davis is one of those kind of boy. She can change the the uh, narrative on a lot of things. She she had said she named the Oscar. She said she had this kind of stormy uh, period as president. There are a lot of kind of falsehoods that she was spreading about her relationship to the Oscars. And you, in your book, you debunk her theory about being uh, the one who named the Oscar. And in fact, the person who named—do I dare say it? Uh, yeah, was somebody who just worked in the office, and it it kind of legitimately bore out that this is exactly the person who named the thing, not Betty, not somebody, not Myrick Herrick. She wasn't the one either. And you know why is it that those kind of myths get going? Is it because it sells? Because it's a star? Uh, yeah, I think so.
2: Well, at least at least in Betty Davis, who incidentally has no relation to uh, this Davis. Yeah, right. Okay, uh, <laughs> but it made a good story, you know. And then she told it for years. Uh, she did have a have a husband at the time she got her first Oscar, whose middle name uh, was Oscar, and so that made an amusing story and whatnot. But um, it wasn't true, and we could point out how the word had been used to uh, identify the statuette three years earlier than when she won that first Oscar. So it it wasn't true. And in a book late in her life, she got tired of being called on that and and said, OK, I admit I didn't really do it. Uh, Somebody else named it Oscar. So then we have to start working through two other stories. And um, um, and I found finally another candidate, as you've indicated, but I'm not going to give her name here. You have to get the book.
1: You have to buy the book. Of course, you want to know that. But it is, I find it very fascinating that Hollywood is a myth town anyway. Yes, we must have the book. You know, leaving the Academy, what was that like for you? Was it hard to say goodbye on a day-to-day basis?
2: Um, It was, it was. I I did it for a long time, 20 years at the top of the staff. And I thought, (laughs) we're having this conversation on on a day when uh, one of our, best known political figures has just laid down her uh, her mantle and I, I I kind of felt the same way I've done this a long time there are lots of good people out there that can do this job let's let somebody else have a chance but yeah it was it was not fun because it was it was a great place to work I mean not just that you're working with some of the great actors and directors and screenwriters of all time but the staff itself was so knowledgeable and so fun just to sit down and talk about movies with. Yeah, it, it, it was hard to leave, um, but it was time.
1: Oh, well, I'd be there working until they kicked me out. That would be the huh, de- OK. But, I, you know, I once talked to um, Ernest Borgnine and I said, what is it like then if you're not going to the ceremony? And he said, well, I would always take my Oscar and put it on top of the TV. And then when we'd watch the show, I'd say, we got ours, baby. We got ours. And I had not crazy. heard that. Oh, yeah. Whenever I know anybody has won an Oscar, the first question I asked them is about the Oscar, because I'm, yeah. I'm fascinated by it. And Peter Ustinoff's wife told me about the Oscars, but she couldn't speak English. So awesome. it was very difficult for her to talk about it. But you go, two, two. We got two. <laughs> so, you know it's it's fascinating and i'm always curious about where they put them the idea that they would put them in a bathroom is just absurd to me i would never do that because of the water i mean that ruins the coating on the thing you know the story that got
2: repeated over and over and over. in fact i i, I actually tracked this down how many people had claimed that they used it as a door stop oh and you you can find that that story going from one person to another, to another. And I'm thinking that many people never stop doors with an Oscar. It just, it doesn't, who has door stops these days anyway? (laughs) Right. So it's a good story. It, it show, well, I've got one, but it's not all that important that, you know, that, that's, that's the point of that story. I think.
1: I'd be putting a light on it and you'd have to come in and (laughs) stand behind (laughs) a rope to see the thing. That's how I would treat it, but that's (laughs) me. Right. Right. I think your next book should be where do you keep your Oscar and yep. ask everybody that you can find where they put it, because it'd be fascinating to know, you know, how does it play in their life? Is it that important? Is it something they try? And, you know, you hear about yep. ones who say they're in the closet or, yep. you know, oh, it's with my kids have it or. You know, oh. My experience in in people's
2: homes is that very few people put it right out in the living room. They, that that I, I think they see as maybe too much. Um, but on the other hand, when you wander into a different room, you may notice there's a little cabinet, a section of the bookcase where it's beautifully lit and uh, there's no chance of missing it. I, I think most people have them where they're visible if you move around in the home, but not, not so it hits you in the face right when you walk in.
1: Well, I asked Chloris Leachman about her Oscar because, you know, come on, Chloris would tell you anything, right? She's, oh, yes, let me think. I have a cupboard that has Emmy, Emmy, (laughs) Emmy, (laughs) Emmy, Emmy. And then there's an Oscar. (laughs) Oh, that's great. You know, I I have it there, dude. It just lets you know subtly that, hey, I have eight Emmys and one Oscar. So not bad, is it? You know? It's not bad at all. It's it's well. Then, did they give you a parting gift? Do they say here now because you've done so well all these years, you're getting an Oscar? Uh, They didn't do that. That that would
2: be (laughs) no. What they give you, what they give you is a gold lifetime membership card in the academy. That's good. No, it's not bad. Uh, It's it's very nice Um, and. No, I'm going to embarrass myself because I couldn't tell you where it is right now. Oh, no. It's with my passport. It's it's like my, my social it, like
1: security a... card. I don't know where that sucker is and somebody I want to collect. So, yeah. right? Well, right. But, do you go to the Oscars then uh, when you're not working? I mean, have you been to the Oscars in, in recent years?
2: Uh, not in the last couple of years. With the COVID and everything, it got more complicated than it seemed like it was uh worth the risk um but i the um the governor's awards this year are uh two days from now uh saturday night this week and i've got the tucks out and pressed so right. um, I, I am going to that and um hope to
1: see some old friends that's that show that i want you to air on tv now so i know <laughs> it must be, you know what i think it is i bet it, they swear a lot at that thing and they don't dare put it on on television that's why they. Well, I, I won't say it's
2: absolutely devoid of swearing, but
1: uh, it's a, it's a lot of fun. Well, good. Well, I say thank you so much, and thank you for doing this book because, as an Oscar nerd like I am, I devoured it. I was just really intrigued with all of the the, the minutia that you are able to bring out that I didn't know how we would ever find out this information. I I found it utterly fascinating, and I think anybody who stands there and and watches the show for five minutes would be intrigued by what you've written
2: oh that's very nice to hear I really appreciate it. It's great. No,
1: it's, you've done a great job and you should get, there you go <laughs> and you should get a doctorate for it because I think well, that's like a thesis
2: yeah I was lucky I found some I, f- I found a lot more things I hadn't expected to uh, to find and hey, it was it was it was fun but it took I told, I told people it was going to take me about a year and it took me 11 years. So, uh,
1: <laughs> and I think it's one of those things too, where you tell the people who are officers don't take good notes, because if you take <laughs> good note, somebody's going to find them at some point and they're going to use them. Right. Yeah, right. Right. I think now it's just like the list of the members who are at the meeting and just say discussion was held and that's it. But in <laughs> those days, it sounded like they really opened up about everything.
2: They, they did, although there are always some things you wish they had given you a little more information about. Uh, I'm still puzzled, as I say in the book, about the sudden appearance of the Supporting Actor Awards. It's never discussed. There's never any discussion about it. There's never a committee that recommends it. Just all of a sudden, one year, boom, there's two more acting awards. And um, I have a theory, but I, I don't have any facts. So what's the theory? Um, I think I think uh, Frank Capra, who was president at that time, may have cut a deal with the Actors' Branch, not the Actors' Branch of the Academy, but the actor, the new Actors' Guild, which had been very hostile to the Academy. They, they, I mean, they were just angry about so many things, and um, I, I think he said, "Look, suppose suppose we give awards for supporting work in acting." and you guys shut up about, <laughs> about your war against the Academy. And, and there's no records at the Actors Guild or at the Academy that indicate a deal was cut. So who knows?
1: Well, are there gonna be other categories? I know they've talked about stunt work as a possible category. And people have always said, oh, comedies are always denied their, their true, you know, what they should be given. And there should be a comedy award would they ever do things like that? Or is that just, no, don't even think about it? Well, I mean, people
2: always say that the Academy doesn't understand how difficult it is to make a great comedy. Who do they think makes all the great comedies? I mean, <laughs> of course they understand how difficult it is. The, the town is full of people who made one great, you know, who wrote one or, the, you know, with the lightning <laughs> flashed, but the next three didn't work. They know how hard it is. The problem with making a separate category for types of films, and I don't mean like documentaries or animated, but but uh, kind of genres, is that it becomes the children's table. It it, once you split best actor, I mean, best picture, then there's no real best picture. And I think a a great comedy and there have been lots that have won the award deserves to get the full the the full award and not not uh, a second place. Best Picture.
1: I do think that the Best Animated Feature has undercut a lot of good, really good movies that could have been a Best Picture, but they figure, well, we'll give it this, and then that's kind of its its place.
2: Well, that's that. That's a version of, of yeah what I was saying. Yeah, there have been a couple that got nominated at least, but it would be it would be really nice to see an animated film go the whole way. Some here.
1: I am ready for it. Can I tell you? All right. And if you have any poll, I want you to get an honorary award for Ron Clements and John Musker, the two animation directors who really got that second whole golden age going and they're ignored. They Ooh. they were nominated at a couple of points, but the real big ones that got them going, they never won for. Yeah. So I think they deserve an honorary award, but that's just me. Here okay. I- All right. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. And um, keep up the good work. There are more books in you. I know there are. Well, this has been fun. It's nice to talk to
2: somebody that, A, has actually read the book, and B, loves movies and wants to talk about movies. That's great.
1: Well, thank you. And thank you for all the work you've done, too. This is great.
0: So that was... Bruce Miller and Bruce Davis in conversation, uh, just last week. I think we recorded that on Thursday and, um, in, in the interim, like, like we said, in the intro, uh, we've had the, the governor's awards, where Diane Warren won. One of my favorite little bits was the, where, where Oscars go to, to Oscar heaven and how they,
1: <laughs> Well, and who knew that they had a tie into
0: Fargo, exactly. you know, the <laughs> woodchipper and Fargo actually paid off for the Oscar people. Exactly. So, yeah, we'll have links to where you can score the book and contact info for Bruce Davis. Huge thanks for his time. Thank you, Bruce Miller, for your time. And uh, yeah, we'll be back next week with more stuff. Hope everybody has a, a safe and, and lovely Thanksgiving. And um, yeah. Be something good and stream something good. When you say that, you've said it all. <laughs> That was it, it was gone.